VS Orbit, a podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 47. This episode is a recording of a talk that Brad Coey from the WAN Group at the University of Waikato gave at the OpenStack Summit in Sydney near the beginning of this month. It's about the faucet controller for OpenFlow, to which Brad is a contributor. On to the talk. Hey everyone, my name's Brad. Uh, I'm from New Zealand, a small place called Hamilton, and I'm representing a few different places today. So I work for the University of Waikato, which is a sort of medium-sized uh, university in New Zealand. And inside the university, I work for the WAND Network Research Group. So we do a bunch of things in the network research area, and uh, one of the key areas I look after is SDN. And through our SDN um, research work, um, we've um, sort of been involved in this thing called the Fawcett Project, and so that's what I'm going to be talking about today, and I'm one of the lead developers of that. So let's get started. So, yeah, we're not talking about clouds in this session here. I'm talking about enterprise networks. Now, they may sound completely different, but actually there's... Um, we can use some of the solutions we use in clouds to, to help us um, solve some uh, annoying problems in the enterprise space. So basically, um, for those that um, don't know, an enterprise network is this um, you know, network that uh, you have if you're an institution like us, uh, and it connects uh, your users to services. So services might be a private cloud, public cloud, some kind of internet service, and it's thing you've got to have as sort of the last mile access to, to actually connect real people to, to um, big services. So it represents like basically just heaps and heaps of copper ports and more wireless access points than you ever want to look at in your life. Um, for us, it's really hard to do like standard build-outs, so we can't really just make this one recipe that goes everywhere because we have buildings and buildings don't all look the same. And we've got some buildings with high density, some with low density. And so you kind of got to be pretty agile, and you've got to sort of put things uh, together to, to build these sort of things. We also have no control over what's happening on the access layer in terms of what devices are being plugged in. Um, we do a thing, you know, bring your own device, where you know, people can turn up with any phone, any laptop, any piece of random equipment. I work for a university. We've got electron scanning microscopes on our enterprise network. And you've got to somehow make sure that can talk to everything else in the network and interop, be secure, and uh, also you have no idea what people are going to purchase and want to plug in. So you've got to be very flexible and support as many of the standards-based um, networking access that you can. Uh, and so basically, for us, an enterprise network has to scale to support all these edge cases. Um, so we, we have some problems uh, when we do this. Uh, a lot of people still run their enterprise networks by hand configuring. They buy a device from a shop, from a vendor. It comes in a box. They take it out. They plug a console cable in. They type some commands uh, into a CLI. Um, and then that gets put on the network and probably doesn't get touched again until there's a problem or you want to change a VLAN or something like that. Now, you can fix this slightly by doing um, config automation, but that doesn't entirely solve the problem because if you want to do multi-vendor, you have this problem of the configuration files look different, right? Uh, if you're doing a templating, you've got to have a template for each one. 
Um, and a big one for me is I can't change the functionality on the device. I can only uh, uh, configure what, what, it, what it can do. So we kind of propose this, uh, this DevOps for network approach to, to doing networking, uh, enterprise networking. And uh, to read more, we have an ACMQ article on that. But uh, I'm going to be going through it in the slide deck as well. So what is the faucet controller? So um, we're a lightweight open source esteem controller. We use OpenFlow 1.3 to interface with our devices. We're extremely multi-vendor. We have probably about six vendors in the supported category at the moment. And we support all of those with a single packet pro processing pipeline. And why this is important is it keeps our code very simple. We have no driver layers. We have no hardware abstraction layers. We just have one way of programming a device, and that's the same for all devices. And the way we can uh, achieve that is we work very closely with our vendors to make sure that they support um, our version of uh, OpenFlow. We do layer two and layer three. We look like a real layer three switch. Um, we use policy for, for, for augmenting what happens in Fawcett. Uh, it's uh, written in Python, open source, as I said before. Um, we're very keen on monitoring instrumentation, so we have a lot of plug-outs to um, monitoring systems like Prometheus. We can talk to InfluxDB, that kind of thing. Uh, and because you know, we're doing this whole DevOps thing, uh, we're very keen on testability. So we have a big test suite, and uh, we run that as often as we can with as many different devices as we can. And we think being well-tested, that means we're production-ready, and there are a number of deployments of these around the world. And we, as I said before, we try and be simple. So uh, we try and keep our install process to less than 30 seconds. And I got a slide at the end to demonstrate that. So our architecture is pretty simple. Uh, at the moment, we live inside of Ryu. So we have two Ryu apps. So for those who don't know what Ryu is, it's an easy-to-use Python um, framework for doing OpenFlow. And basically, we've got the faucet controller and the gauge controller. So they, they make up faucet. Faucet is a read-write controller. It ingests a YAML config file of how you want to set up your network. And it converts these to OpenFlow rules, and it spits these out to devices. Gauge is our read-only controller, and it does uh, all our monitoring. So it sits there ingesting stats via OpenFlow from switches, and it'll put those onto... Uh, some kind of database for monitoring. So whether that's Influx, CouchDB, uh, MySQL, Prometheus, whatever. And then you can throw on Grafana or something like that on top to, um, uh, to, to view all this data. And Gauge is also controlled with, with the YAML config file. We have um, BGP at the moment for our API out of faucet for providing routes. Because as I said before, we're doing layer three. Do you care if it's BGP E or I? Uh, no, we, so to, in a typical model, um, uh, this will be bird, uh, or, and, and then bird will be onto a large IBGP or EBGP. Um, we try not to do too much for BGP here. We, we prefer you to talk to someone, uh, a BGP uh, instance on, on your own network that's, that already exists. Uh, so we, we try not to care about that at all. We, we just use it as an API. We, we, we don't really do BGP. We, it's, it's the way of providing things uh, so you don't have to list them as static routes and force it uh, config. So uh, this is what a, tradition, uh, what a typical um, config file would look like. So um, basically, we've got a bunch of high-level constructs, uh, such as VLANs and DPs, which stands for data paths. 
So you list all your VLANs you want. In this case, we've got a single VLAN called Office. It has a description, so you can find it later. Um, you can also provide a bunch more information there, but I've tried to keep this example short. And we have this concept of virtual IPs or VIPs, and that's how you get Fawcett to participate on your network so that um, a host computer can use you as a next hop. Um, we, we will participate with neighborhood discovery and ARP. And we do do v6, I just left it off this example. Uh, and then you basically can list all of the switches or data paths you want to support. In this case, we've got a single open vSwitch with two interfaces, and both of them are on the same VLAN, and they're native, which means they're untagged, but we can also do tagged, which would be a more traditional um, trunk. So um, the key to all this DevOps approach to, to, to enterprise networking is testing and validation. This is what you need to know that when a change is going to happen, it's going to work. So we, as Fawcett, provide a test suite. We provide unit tests, which test code, and we provide integration tests that test that the features we implement work. And uh, so we've got something like 140 different test scenarios. Each scenario is a real-world topology, and it includes real traffic. And then our test output is, you know, did this packet go in the right place? Uh, and that's how we test isolation. That's how we test uh, learning modes. That's how we test all these kind of things. So all commits into the Fawcett project themselves, um, we run through Travis. And so we know that new code going in isn't breaking old stuff that used to work. And when new features come in, they're unit tested and integration tested. So we know um, that they should work as expected. Uh, by default, the test suite runs on Miniet, which is a bunch of virtual open vSwitch instances uh, for building topologies. But we can also run the test suite onto physical devices. And this is where things get interesting. Because now, instead of like reading some long vendor spiel PDF of hundreds of pages long that lists all your RFCs and whether there's a checkbox or an X, we can test that those features that we actually want to use work. And so you can use this to automate your RFP process. So instead of purchasing by reading documentation, you can purchase by testing the device works on your network. Uh, and then this leads on to the idea of push on green. So if we can put all of our changes and everything uh, into Git, we can then have this Git commit ID, and we can track that through time, and we can put it into a continuous integration tool. And so uh, when we're in a continuous integration tool, we can uh, run this test suite uh, against virtual switches to make sure it's going to work. We can then run on the physical switches on our network, make sure it's going to work, all without uh, touching the produ uh, production network. And then if all the tests pass in there, and we think we've got all the tests in there that uh, represent what our users do and the features we're using, then we can automatically push that to the network and nothing should go wrong, in theory. Um, yeah, as I said before, we're very keen on network visibility to make sure that things don't go wrong. And we decided early on that we were not going to write the faucet NMS. We think there are too many NMSs, and uh, there were some good ones, and so we decided to use those. Um, Prometheus is the one we've basically settled on, because uh, it seems to do everything we want and be very performant, and lots of really cool features coming down the pipeline. So for those that don't know what Prometheus it knows, uh, for those who don't know what Prometheus is, it's a data collection service and also a time series database and also like an alerting, and um, uh, it generates new metrics based on metrics that are currently in there as well. And so we get Prometheus to scrape our faucet engage controllers and grab a bunch of stats. 
this is where we store our Mac table. It's where we store um, ports on the network, whether that's or down. It's where we have um, our packet in counters, bytes in, um, errors, so all your traditional sort of what you get from SNMP. Um, but we do a couple extra things that you wouldn't see on a regular enterprise device. Um, we can tell you about the control plane utilization. So it's important to track that because that's quite a constrained resource, and you want to make sure you're not doing too many packets on that, that interface. Uh, and then just recently, we've had a bunch of commits uh, over this weekend uh, for instrumentation. So uh, we want to show you what Force is doing. So we will tell you how many hosts we're learning, where we're learning them, and also um, as we go through um, various loops and various hard parts in our code, we'll tell you how often we're doing that so that you can graph that and make sure that you're not at capacity and you're not going to break uh, Force it. Uh, and yeah, you can throw this into Grafana and get real-time graphs. So here's a graph. It doesn't really matter that you can't see it too well. But basically, this is the one I use most often. Uh, this is all my VLANs uh, for my uh, network. And we can see how many hosts there are. And these graphs are basically various ways in, in that we've learned, learned hosts on the network. So we can do breakdowns on what VLANs we've learned them on, which instance of faucet we've learned them on, various things like that. Um, and this one comes back to, you know, you want visibility so you can see that the changes you're making on your network are doing what you expect. This is a particular case where we change the learning behavior in Fawcett to make it slightly more optimal. And we'll see here, when we're running the old code, we're doing about four packet ends per second on the control plane. And then we did a code reload uh, to put the new version on there. And we can see that's down to less than one packet per second of learning uh, traffic. So um, we could validate that the code we wrote had done what we expected. We're also starting to work on this tool called fcuddle or faucet cuddle, which is going to be um, a sort of central way to look at faucet. So now that we've got the central control overview of your network, um, you've got one place to inspect what's happening on it. So um, a good example here is to think about uh, your Mac table. So um, we don't really have a Mac table. We synthesize one um, based on everything we know about the network, and we can spit it out to you with um, fcuddle. And basically, if you, if you want to sort of search for where a MAC address is being learned or you've got to trouble some host or something, you can put it into this tool, and this is going to spit out MAC addresses and which data path, port, and VLAN we learnt, learnt that on, and you can go sort of um, go about your day and try and find uh, the device. And so because this is all time series as well, you can look how this host is moving through your network. So you can use this for... Uh, maybe working out uh, hosts that are roaming between APs and stuff like that, um, those kind of things. So uh, I've kind of alluded to this, but um, I run one of these networks for my um, office network. Um, it's got an ASN and V4 and V6 addresses assigned to it by APNIC. So I, don't know, I think it's a real network because it has those things. Um, it's got about 248 uh, real pure OpenFlow ports at the moment. Um, uh, it's set up to look exactly like a regular network, so we've got a core, an aggregation, an access layer. At the core, it's a Linux box. It's, uh, so on the Linux box, we run a bunch of VMs for our controllers and also a bunch of services, which we'll get into. And the core of this machine is OpenV switch and DPDK, and that's where all our routing occurs. That's where um, all of our network services are implemented. 
And then basically we, we break out from the core into an aggregation layer. Um, we wanted to be super multi-vendor on this network because I'm a network research group and I don't really have a big budget and I don't get to have really big builds or buys from vendors. So I just got to go with what I want. So I wanted to make sure that this network was going to work on any vendor that we have so that I can just go pick whatever I can afford at the time. So at the moment, it's got Allied Telesis, Cisco, and Aruba at the core, all OpenFlow controlled. Uh, on the access layer, um, we, we break out to a lot more ports. And this is when we get into 52 port switches. These are 24s. And then we break out to some Allied Telesis OpenFlow Wi-Fi APs. So even the Wi-Fi um, layer is OpenFlow controlled as well. And so here's a picture when I first racked it up of some ports. Yeah, it's pretty boring. But that's just to show it. It does exist. Uh, so, you know, you get this um, sort of small faucet thing that is very lightweight. It um, has no minimum specifications. It'll run on a Raspberry Pi up to whatever server you want. Um, you can now do this sort of idea of segmenting your controllers. So uh, I personally run two controllers, a layer 3 one and a layer 2 one. The layer 2 one is going to handle all of our learnings on our actual hardware switches. And the layer 3 one is uh, purely there for routing. And the nice thing about separating them out is uh, when you want to do code upgrades, you don't have to take down the whole network at once. Um, it means you can do load balancing. If you uh, space these out nice enough, then you can make sure they're not doing too much work and that kind of thing. OK, which leads on to how I manage my network. So I use Ansible, and inside um, my playbooks for Ansible, I have a bunch of stuff for doing VM management, for doing uh, Open vSwitch management, for looking after the faucet configs. And basically, we shove all of that into Git. And so what I'm trying to say is um, you can use Ansible to run a network, but without SSH or NetConf or Yang, which is how you traditionally do this. Because those have that problem we had uh, we were talking about before of um, uh, they don't work very well for multi-vendor because you've got to know the underlying sort of config. That this you program force it the same way for any vendor and it and it'll always come out uh, the same. So once we put all this in Git, every commit is now a different um, piece of network uh, state, uh, and that means rolling back's really easy. We just go to the previous Git commit. Pair review is pretty simple because you just do a Git diff. If you want to work out why something broke and you found the line that does it, get blames there and all those kind of things. And as part of my Ansible um, playbook, I do a bunch of sanity checks. So we've got a bunch of tools you can run inside Fawcett to make sure what you're about to apply is going to work. And those get run. If, uh, I, I don't do this at the moment, but if you wanted to do this properly, you'd also use different Ansible inventories to have different parts of the network that get deployed in different uh, orders and stages. And um, my whole network is also open source on GitHub. So everything that's there is currently running on my uh, enterprise network uh, in, my, in my office. So um, DevOps, we do it. Um, we do weekly deployments of new code and new config. It happens at 4 PM on a Monday. Uh, so worst case, you're looking at about eight seconds of service interruption if we have to do a code change and we have to restart Fawcett L3, because that means we've got to do a flap of BGP, and BGP times are a little annoying. Uh, if we don't have to do that uh, and we're just touching L2 or we're doing uh, what we call a hitless reload, then nothing on the network gets interrupted. 
Um, so basically, if, you, if you're changing a VLAN or you're adding ports or you're adding switches, uh, there are no interruptions for that because we know how to do a diff of config internally and apply it in the right order. Um, but if we do a code reload um, and you don't have a redundant controller or a redundant PGP or something like that, then um, you might have some level of service interruption. So talk a little bit more about um, how the NFE server works. So the idea here is... You want to put your heavy services where you've got CPU. Um, this shouldn't be news to the people in this room. Um, and what I'm trying to get at is running these on a switch in a decentralized fashion isn't going to isn't going to scale as well as you think it might. So basically, for DHCP, for all these sort of services, we run them as VMs. So a number of this um, VMs I've got in here is uh, we have our own active management project AMP for doing. Um, active network probes to, to verify that um, latency and jitter is good. So we run that as a VM. Uh, there's a local company in New Zealand we deal with, Catalyst IT, who have a DDoS monitoring product. We run that as a VM. Uh, I've got a v6-only network for testing that software works in a v6-only environment. That has NAT64 attached to it for doing translation back to v4. That runs as a VM. Uh, we got Bird in there as a VM. We got DHCP server, uh, IC DHCP server in there as a VM. And we're just using Ansible, so it's just a couple of lines and a commit, and you get a new service. And we connect these with DPK vhost user ports for um, getting maximum speed into uh, Open vSwitch. So Open vSwitch is running entirely in user space. It's running with DPK acceleration, uh, so we don't uh, touch the kernel at all, which seems to go pretty fast for us at the moment. And then we break out to physical ports by using a bunch of different Intel NICs, uh, depending on what kind of port density we want. Uh, and I set all this up with this lovely guide on the Open vSwitch website, which demystified DPDK for me and made it very easy to use. Um, if, if you don't use a similar guide, you might get a bit stuck with trying to get uh, DPDK running on the right threads with the right PCI bus lanes and stuff like that. But um, Open vSwitch is slowly getting very good at setting all that up for you. And when you get stuck, um, there are guides. Uh, so now I'm going to talk a little bit about OpenFlow for those people who haven't come across it before. Uh, it's a really good way of programming hardware devices and software devices as well. And how it works is we get this table structure. So you always start in table zero, and in each table you've got a number of rules. And a rule is a match and an action. An action can be go to the next table, which is how you build really fine-grained, uh, complicated things. And uh, actions can also be, hey, switch, you should do something with this packet. So you could rewrite parts of it. You could um, uh, output it to various ports and that kind of thing. And basically, we just go through this chain of uh, tables, and we uh, find the highest priority matching flow. So each flow has a, uh, a priority associated. And then we apply whatever... Uh, instructions or actions there were, and then uh, we can go to the next table. And so I was talking about Fawcett implements a packet processing pipeline. This is the one we use. Uh, you don't really need to know in depth how it works, but this is just for interest's sake. So we've got uh, eight tables at the moment, uh, port ACL, VLAN, VLAN ACL, S source, which is where we learn L2 addresses. We've got two fibs for V4 and V6. We have a VIP table for processing the VIPs I was talking about before. And we also have the separate um, ethdest learning table as well for, for destination addresses. And uh, at worst case, we don't know what's going on. We've got a flood table for, for leaving. 
And at various stages of this pipeline, you can send packets to the controller for learning. Um, we try to be very optimal in how we send packets to the controller. We try and send small amounts of bytes where possible. We truncate all our packets. And that's just so we uh, make ourselves less of a DOS vector. And this is the stage of the pipeline where packets can leave and actually go uh, to the device. So what do we implement in OpenVSwitch? Uh, on this network, we've got forwarding, we've got virtual IPs, and we've got routing, and a bunch of uh, policies and ACL stuff. So uh, here's some OpenFlow rules. Uh, here is how you do forwarding, L2. Uh, so we'll just go through these quickly. But basically, um, in the first table, we're always going to match uh, what VLAN is coming in on a port. And that's just so that people aren't talking the wrong VLANs on their ports. And enforced at the moment, we always will make sure a packet leaving the first table has a VLAN tag on it. And that's just so that we can separate that out from other packets later on in the pipeline so that we don't get VLAN crosstalk and that kind of thing. Uh, and then we're going to go to table three. Uh, so this is, this is forwarding. So forwarding goes into the S source table, which is where we learn MAC addresses. If we get into that table, we've got two options. We can either, either we don't know what's happening or we do. If we don't know what's happening, we copy the first 96 bytes of the packet to the controller and we say, hey, you need to do some learning. And we also make a split copy of that packet and send it to table seven, which is the flood, uh, which is the FDES table, sorry. Uh, because we can learn source and DESs separately. So what that means is if we see host A talking to the internet and host B talking to the internet, and then they later want to talk, uh, we've already learned them independently, and they can now go talk, which isn't how a traditional switch works often. Uh, and then uh, since we didn't know the destination either, we have to go to table 8, which is flood. And then we're doing that match again just to make sure it uh, conforms to our VLAN. And then we basically just you know, output, output. Uh, for uh, untagged interfaces, we're going to pop uh, VLAN, so there's no VLAN tag on there anymore. These would be tagged interfaces, so we didn't have to. Uh, we also have a mode where we'll use OpenFlow groups, which is slightly more optimal, but not all of our switches support it yet, so this is, this is still the default case. Uh, if we knew the source and desk, life was a lot easier because we've got matches in there for the MAC addresses, and we bas basically know what port that packet needs to go out, so we don't need to do the copy to the controller, and we don't need to do the copy to uh, the flood table. Uh, VIPs, uh, the reason I said before we need VIPs is for routing. So you need to be able to learn force it as your next hop so that we can program a bunch of rules in the switch so that we can do accelerated forwarding in the switch. Uh, the way a VIP works is pretty simple. We've got a case for V4 and V6. In V4, we just steal all the ARP packets to our VIP address and we send those to the controller. And then what Fawcett's going to do is uh, make an appropriate reply that has its MAC address in and it's going to send it to you. Uh, for v6, it's a little bit more complicated because we have to deal with multicast for um, doing IPv6 neighbor discovery, but it's not too bad. This is our um, special MAC address that uh, uh, relates back to the, the VIP you're trying to talk to, uh, force it on, and we just copy that up. We take uh, neighborhood discovery uh, in the, uh, what's this, um, neighbor solicitation packets, I think, and we'll send that to the controller, the first 96 bytes, and then we'll send a reply back with what our MAC address is. And when we've done that, we can do uh, routing. So routing uh, is a little bit 
complicated because we have to deal with MAC addresses and changing the packet, but it's still pretty simple. And um, we also do all our routing on the data path in the switch. We do not copy any routed packets up to the controller. So um, we're, we'll always do line rate. There is no other way to use Fawcett otherwise, uh, other than line rate. Um, whereas similar projects like uh, Routeflow might um, have a case where we go to the controller. Um, so for routing, so this is the MAC address, the special Fawcett MAC address that we learned from doing the VIP instructions before. And now we know, uh, so this is in table three. And in table three, uh, we basically carve out all packets going to this destination, because that's how routing works. You set the destination MAC to your next hop. And we're going to go into now a VIP, uh, sorry, we're going to go into a uh, FIB table, which has our route table that we learned from BGP in it. And then this is a default route. And what this is saying, this is in table four, the FIB. What this is saying is to get to the next hop, which is above Fawcett, it wants a MAC address, uh, wants a VLAN of 2406. And so we set that VLAN tag. We also set, uh, this is the MAC address for Fawcett on the network that talks to the next hop. So we set that uh, so that the router upstream of us knows what we're talking about. And then we set the destination address to this of our next hop. That's a Juniper router, I think. And then we're going to decrement TTL, so we're going to be a good router, so trust route works. And then uh, we go to table seven, which knows where that router lives, what port it is, and then it can port it out. For v6, I mean, it's the same thing. You set the MAC addresses, source and dest, and you set the MAC address, uh, set the VLAN, sorry, and decrement TTL. So there's, there's no difference there. Fawcett does a lot by itself, but often you want to add things on top. And the way you do that is with policy. So um, we have this construct in Fawcett called an ACL, which um, we should probably change the name of because ACL makes you think a traditional layer 2 LCL, whereas WoW is a lot more flexible. So our ACLs are basically OpenFlow. So an ACL can match on anything OpenFlow can in Fawcett. And then we have a bunch of actions that we let you do. So you can drop and allow, which is firewalling. We can output, which will do port mirroring. Uh, well, actually, it does flexible port mirroring because you can, you can just look at the packets you want. You don't have to look at a whole interface. You can just carve off TCP. We just carve off um, port 80 or something like that. And we also let you modify. And what modify is useful for is doing some NFV services. So we can steal uh, maybe 8021X frames, EAPOL frames, and we can maybe change some MAC addresses in there, change some VLAN tags or whatever. We can send it to a host that understands 802.1x, and we can build our own 802.1x solution running as a VM on a uh, NFE host uh, without having to implement anything on the switch. Uh, ACLs can exist in a number of places. They can live on ports. They can live on VLANs. Uh, they can live between VLANs, and they can live on routing instances. So here's how I implement uh, network policy on my network. So I'm using port ACLs for doing DHCP and DHCP v6 spoofing. I'm using port ACLs for IPv6 router guard. So not all, well, I think most vendors do now, but uh, there was a time where not everyone did v6 router guard. Here you can just add your own and be done with it. I'm also doing BCP 38 for dropping IP ranges that aren't... Um, uh, IPs on the network so that we don't leak uh, to the internet um, spoofed IP addresses. As I said before, yeah, you can send 802.1x off to a NAC. Um, 
some examples of VLAN-based ECHLs. Um, the reason why you want to use these is you can apply policy once to a group of hosts, whereas if you do port-based, you might have to apply it multiple times to multiple ports, so it lets you be a bit more efficient in how many rules you apply on the switch. Um, we use IVR ECHLs for when we're doing VLAN routing, so you can say, like, have uh, a BGP uh, upstream VLAN and a Office VLAN, you can route between those. You can put policy on what happens between those VLANs. Uh, you can also, uh, with OpenFlow, assign, uh, an OpenFlow match, assign a specific client based on a set of rules to a specific upstream or a specific um, uh, fib. We can have multiple fibs in there, and that's sort of like a VRF. And yeah, I said uh, we install less than 30 seconds. Uh, since we're just Python, you can pip install and then run Ryu, and you get us. Or we also just run in uh, Docker really simply. We provide um, Docker files for all these kind of things. Uh, and uh, Ben at OpenVSwitch was lovely enough to write a full tutorial on how to use this with OpenVSwitch, which is um, very useful. Uh, I think I have maybe five minutes for questions. Uh, if anyone has any questions about this stuff, yes. So why did you talk about uh, OpenFlow 1.3 versus like 1.4.1? Yeah, so 1.3 has been, as best we can tell, the most standard uh, across vendors. Uh, there are vendors like OpenVSwitch that will go up to 1.5, and it'll be lovely to use those features, but we try and stick with whatever's going to work, uh, and that's 1.3 dot some number of revision at the moment. But we're definitely trying to push vendors along at the moment to support more of these features. How do you deal with um, aging out policies that may not be used that often? Ah, interesting question. Uh, so we... Function of 4.1, or 1.4.1. So uh, we would expect uh, probably an external system. Uh, so Force is not going to do that for you. So we're very good at aging out stuff we do. So. L2 learning and uh, BGP routes and that kind of thing, we can do all that. But when you're supplying the ACL, because it's user-supplied, we won't know what to do with it because we don't know what your intention was. So we would expect you to tell us to remove it. Um, so we'd expect some kind of external system at the moment. It's not that we're actually wanting to remove it. It's just we run out of memory space. Uh, and uh, if it's something that's used like quarterly reports or yearly reports, uh, or it's a security event, uh, it's not going to use all the time, but uh, so it should just go back up the controller, relearn it, um, but it can age out and not jump space. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, we we don't have a mechanism for that, but if, if you have some ideas, uh, I'm sure we could implement that for you. Yeah. Any other questions? Who's developing Are you guys developing it, or do you have a Cool. Great question. Uh, so, yeah, we have a. Uh, uh, dev team and we have a community. So uh, this is all umbrella work under what we call the Fawcett Foundation, which is a thing in New Zealand that has a board that looks after the development of it. Um, we have sort of roughly between 1.5 and 3 full-time engineers working on this at the moment, um, all sponsored by companies. Uh, we just had a, our first Fawcett conference in Berkeley in California two weeks ago, 
and uh, we met up with a number of our American community over there. So we've got about 60 people, uh, some of those were vendors, some of those users, and we've added another sort of uh, two developers from that uh, who are just working very part-time at the moment. But um, we're, we're a very active uh, developer uh, community. We do usually weekly releases, sometimes fortnightly releases, and it's a very fast-moving target. Um, if you go back on our GitHub, you'll see how many features we've added in the last 12 months. Um, so, so this project's la existed for two years, but in the last 12 months, we've done most of our dev, dev work, and it's been pretty nuts. So uh, I definitely recommend checking out the GitHub for more. Any sort of MPLS TV and plus sort of wide-scale, high-latency networks, any experience with those two? Yeah, MPLS, we would love to do MPLS labels because that lets us... Um, what we've always wanted to do is be able to annotate packets, be able to put some kind of label or some label structure on there. Uh, vendor support is not fantastic. Uh, and the primitives in OpenFlow for programming them aren't fantastic. So we don't do MPLS at the moment, but we would absolutely love to. And as soon as we can get something that works in hardware will be will be in that space. And what was your other question, sorry? Um, high latency network. So if it's far away and you've got like say two milliseconds to get between the switch and the controller? Yeah, um, I was meant to do testing on that and you just reminded me that I didn't. Um, we have one startup company that's trying to do AWS um, faucet controllers and I'm sure we're going to see some good data out of them. But I was meant to test myself to see how that worked. Um, we haven't done any testing, but in saying that, we haven't ever put Fawcett in a situation where there was too much license to see. So we know there's an upper bound, we just have no idea what it is. Cool, um, what's the advantage of Fawcett controller versus uh, the open daylight or open contract controller? Cool, uh, great question. Uh, so we're lightweight. We have minimal number of dependencies. We will spin up on a Raspberry Pi. We don't need some number of clusters and some number of whatever. We're very small and lightweight, and we think that's a good way to do deployments of these things. So do you think that uh, open daylight and open contracts is, is more complex and more resource-centric? Uh, so I tried, so my history with uh, those kind of projects, I tried to install ODL, I tried to install, I tried to install ONOS once, and it took me a day, and I didn't get installed, and I gave up. ODL, I think I got lost in the documentation and uh, I couldn't work out how to support my switches I had. Um, they didn't seem to have any clear... Because uh, they're, they're doing like vendor APIs and stuff like that. I don't want any of that. I want one clear interface that, that programs everything the same way. Um, so, yeah, we think we've got some pretty big advantages. I'm sure we've got disadvantages, but all I see is advantages over those controllers. Do you have any plans to integrate this with like OpenStack and Neutron or something to control, to Ryu controller? Because I know Ryu has already a plugin for Neutron. So yeah, we've had a lot of people sort of asking for this and I haven't got it clear in my mind what we could benefit the cloud community, but if, if someone can tell me how this would be useful, I would be, we'd love to have that as a demo or a use case. Um, we'll, because you start the conversation with uh, it's an enterprise class uh, solution, so enterprises are currently looking for HDM controllers. Uh, if it is a lightweight and if it can be developed by a community, so it's worthwhile to. Yeah, yeah. So, so anywhere, I guess, uh, VLANs or um, so we do Q and Q and stuff like that. We're starting to do some telco deployments. 
But um, yeah, we, we haven't done much in the cloud space, but we can see there's, there's some overlap, and we think there could be some good use cases. We just haven't, I guess, found the right person to talk to. Um, uh, so, so most of our development work is, is driven by whoever wants to deploy it. So any deployment case we find, we'll write the features for that, um, which is pretty typical of a, of a growth sort of startup uh, open source project. Yeah. All right, I think that's probably my time. Yep, cool. Thank you very much, everyone. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons attribution unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.